0: Rob Cartlidge here of robcartlidgeministries.com. In 1 Peter 3.15, we are told to always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. Scripture exhorts us to be fluent in apologetics. In this world of postmodernism, our faith is being questioned more than ever before. In response, God has raised the standard and has given us more evidence for our faith than ever before. Apologetics 101. Uh, this this sermon is called Evolution Origins. I believe there's a, a strong lack of uh, apologetic understanding in the church, and due to that, there's been a massive falling away in the church. Many Christians, when they get into their teens, get to high school. Get into science classes, start getting taught about evolution, fall away from the faith, and there's especially in America there's a huge fall-off rate, drop-off rate, um, and in Australia, and many people in Australia they never even get a chance to come to Christ because they've received this teaching of evolution and whatever else they teach with the Big Bang and everything else, uh, and so they don't even want to entertain Jesus Christ or God being an uh, existence at all. So I think we really got to have our apologetics down. I, I encourage you all that you should really be reading. You should have an apologetic book on the go at, at all times, I think. You know, not that you have to read the whole thing in a week. You i have always got one on the go. I read a few pages every few days. And it's just good to keep your mind ticking along that way to keep confirming that your faith has substance has more substance than, I believe, many of the theories of science that oppose what the Bible has to say. Have a look at 1 Peter 3.15, and it says... If I can find it. But in your heart set apart Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. Always be prepared. Always be prepared to give an answer. Now, that doesn't just refer to an apologetic answer. It also refers to having the gospel, having an understanding of the gospel so that you can accurately um, articulate the gospel and what it means to be saved by Jesus Christ and what that, how, how that works out in your life. You know what I'm saying? So it's not just from an apologetic standpoint, but it also, in this day and age, the answer that we've got to give is God, God exists, does he? Give me some evidence and they'll always ask that. So here's a little bit of evidence, I believe. Greater faith. Personally, I, I believe you need greater faith to believe that everything that is evolved by chance over millions of years than to believe that everything that is was created by God, especially in light of the information available to us today. One thing we've got to make, make real clear from the outset is not all scientists believe in evolution. Not all scientists believe in evolution. There are many top quality scientists that oppose it strongly in favor of creation or in favor of intelligent design, which are slightly different in their views. They hold fundamentally some very similar views, um, but they do oppose the teachings of Charles Darwin. And many other teachers, especially today, like Richard Dawkins and, and so on. So we've got to understand right from the outset, not all scientists are atheists. Right? There might be more atheist scientists than there are Christian scientists, but that still does not mean that they have it right. Okay? Once we understand that, we can't say science trumps your view. Because there's many scientists out there that look at the evidence and goes, "This is more evidence that God exists." Do you know what I'm saying? The evidence tells me that God's real. The evidence points to a creator, even though the atheist will say the evidence points that to chance that this all happened, you know, by natural selection or whatever. But we're going to go into that a little bit very soon. Macro evolution. See, this is another thing. Most Christians, or most people in the world, if they understand the way animals who, you know, and and future generations and all that hereditary stuff, most Christians believe in microevolution. Small changes, meaning if you breed two long-haired dogs, you'll get a long-haired dog. But if you breed a long-haired dog and a short-haired dog, you may get a long-haired dog and you may get a short-haired dog. And if you keep on breeding, you know, just the short-haired dogs, you will get a very short-haired breed eventually, and the gene of the, of the long-haired dog will eventually get washed out of its system. You know what I'm sort of saying? Um, so microevolution is fine within species, but no one's ever seen a horse turn into anything but a horse, right? There's no evidence that a shark has become anything but a shark. Or a dog's become anything but a dog. You don't see cats turning into dogs, do you? Right? It's unheard of. You just don't see that. You don't see hippopotamuses becoming elephants. Right? Now, that's that's macroevolution. That's the teaching of macroevolution. Very distinctly different teaching to microevolution. And what they try to say is, because we have microevolution, we have evidence of that in the world, which we do, They try to say, well, it works exactly the same way in a macro sense, meaning from one species to another species. There's a a strong teaching out there that lizards turned into birds. No one's ever seen a lizard turn into a bird. Has anyone? No. As far as I know, lizards don't turn into birds. Ask a little child, does a lizard turn into a bird? They'll tell you no. There's authority. I think, you know, but the scientists will draw a diagram of how a lizard turns into a bird and then say, see, over millions and millions of years, strange things like that can occur. And then they use that as the reason why everything evolved from dirt in the ultimate beginning or in some primordial soup or it's, you know, rock, we all come out of rock, and then the Big Bang theorists will tell you that it all started with a speck, and for no apparent reason, that speck exploded and become all the matter that is in the universe today. And then out of that matter, suddenly, for no apparent reason, life emerged. The biggest question you've got to ask a Big Bang theorist is, where did the speck come from? They can't give you the origin, see? There's no... You go back far enough with any of these theorists, they can't explain it. They can't explain it. And then they say, well, you explain it. And we'll say God. And they say, oh, God's the answer to everything. Absolutely he's the answer to everything. (laughs) I agree. That's That's the first statement I agree with. God is the answer for everything. He is the missing link. All right? He is the gap. He is the God of the gaps. He's the God that started it all. They say, oh, God of the gaps theory. Yep, God of the gaps theory, exactly. He is the God of the gaps. He fills in all the gaps. Any gap we don't understand, God. Oh, that's just, you know, you're being intellectually dishonest. No, I'm not. I'm being intellectually honest. I'm being spiritually honest. I'm being physically honest. God began it all. Once you get over that hurdle, everything else fits together. You look at a tree, you look at a bird, you just go, wow, the wonder of God. Absolutely mind-blowing, and then you see complexity in its fullness. You don't oversimplify it all and say it all just happened by chance. Get out of here! That's ridiculous. That's ridiculous. All right. Even if there's an example of a lizard turning into a bird, morphing. You know how the faces change and evolve into another face. You ever seen that? That thing that's called morphing. Well, that's what they've actually done there. No evidence that that's ever occurred. Carl Whelan said, even if, for example, reptiles did change into birds, even if they did change into birds millions of years ago, as evolutionists allege, the scientific method could never be applied to test this idea because it was not, not an observed happening. Even if that did happen. Which, by the way, even in that one case, if it did happen, it doesn't prove that the whole theory of evolution is true just proves that God allowed a lizard to change into a bird by some miracle that God performed. But even if that did occur, the scientific method can't prove it did happen, can it? You would have to go back in time. You would have to go back in time to test the idea. It's a theory. It's in the minds of men, minds of a man who denies God and is going to think up anything The wildest, most random thing like a lizard changing into a bird that any child will tell you just does not happen, an an intellectual giant will think up something that's stupid. And then still call themselves a professor. I tell you what, if I went around saying lizards turned into birds before that idea was common, people would put me in a loony bin. Now they get degrees for thinking up something so intellectually dishonest. If you could somehow turn a reptile into a bird today, even that wouldn't prove it happened millions of years ago anyway. If you could actually get a lizard and get it turned into a bird, that wouldn't prove it happened by chance millions of years ago. It just would prove that by our... Uh, understanding of the way lizards are and the understanding of birds that we somehow manipulated their genes and we got them to turn into a bird. No one's ever been able to do that with science. With all the magic of science, with all the technology no one has been able to change a lizard into a bird. If they could it would be world news. Amen? There'd be Nobel Prizes given out for it. First man to ever change a lizard into a bird. Oh, but you alleged that it happened millions of years ago, ago, all by itself with no technology, no intelligence, nothing. It just happened. Come on. There is so much intellectual dishonesty out there, and these guys are, are teaching this stuff, and people are flock fleeing Christ in the droves for stupid ideas. Stupid ideas. Okay, it it can happen on that little film strip there. It happened, but has that actually ever happened? Tell me, has that ever happened, as far as you can tell, from what we observe in the natural world? It just doesn't happen, does it? Carl Whelan continues, Equally, you can't insist that God should repeat the miraculous creation of many groups of birds and reptiles, Program to reproduce after their kind just so they can watch it. So the, the the evolutionists will say, well, you can't prove that God did it either. No, we can't prove by taking you back or getting God to redo it right now, create something out of nothing, right? The fact of the matter is he's left plenty of his, or what we call his signatures, all over his creation. God's signature is all over his creation. Amen. Who can see it? When you look at, you know, uh, when you watch a documentary on the miraculous workings of the eye, do you not see God's signature all over that? How can you look at that eye and say that that deep, deep complexity just happened to happen for no reason? No reason. This is dishonest. Both are ideas held by faith. You know, creation and evolution are faith beliefs. Never let a, a, a creationist, or sorry, an evolutionist tell you that this is science. It might be believed by science, a certain scientists, but it is a theory that goes in line with what they call naturalism, right, that everything just sort of... Happens that way, you know, it just comes out of... It started with nothing and then slowly just things change, slight modifications. But you got to remember, billions of years. You know? Both ideas are held by faith. Each belief system, evolution or creation, offers arguments and evidences to bolster that faith. Both views have arguments that bolster the faith of that person. But you must understand, evolution is a belief system and to many a religious belief system it has no evidence science does not support it with actual evidence all right as just as we can we can see the signature of god on all creation and that is our evidence and many scientists can actually have got some incredible theories that will give you the will convince you in your heart that There must be a God, because this could not have happened by mere chance. So I believe science supports creation far more than it does support evolution. And we're going to see tomorrow night when we go and watch John Lennox, we're going to listen to some incredible, incredible uh, arguments and and, uh, teachings in relation to this sort of stuff. These are the four limbs, or the bones of different animals. Carl Whelan points out that similarities like these in the diagram of the four limb bone patterns, this is called homology, can be explained in two ways. The similarities, can you see they're all very similar, or they got certain similarities. They all had the same ancestor, or they all had the same designer. So that either one descended from another, descended from another, or, which is the theory of evolution, Or they all had the same designer, because that's why God designs things in certain ways. So there's going to be similarities, because He's, you know, when you see a car manufacturer, they start designing cars. All their cars have a similar kind of design. That's why when you look at, oh, there's a Porsche. That's the new model Porsche, or whatever. You know what I mean? They all have similar designs. And if you look at cars in total, cars all have a very similar design, don't they? Their existence can hardly be called proof for either explanation. So just because those bones have a similarity, it doesn 't prove that they have the same ancestor. Uh, and, and in that same light, it doesn 't prove it had the same designer either. but it does, when I see that, it bolsters my faith that our designer is amazing. All right now i 'm going to go into a, a topic that i 'm hoping that I can help, help you understand quite easy who 's heard of mutations? Who's heard of... Do you know what a mutant is? X-Men. Sorry? X-Men. X-Men's mutants, all right? Usually their genes have been affected. In the case of the X-Men, you know, they have these superpowers sort of thing. But a a typical... If you see a, a true mutant, it'll be someone that's lost information and that has a deformity. Usually it's a deformity, isn't it? So typical mutations are always degenerations. It's always a loss of information or information being distorted in some kind. Twisted information, like a typing error. You know what I mean? If, you've, if you're typing up something and you, you type, make a typo, if that actual word means anything after it's made, it can distort the meaning if it's the wrong word. You know what I mean? Especially when you send a message by your iPhone and it does that automatic text correct and sometimes, did I send that? I didn't write those words. You know what I mean? That's like mutant sort of message. All right, so mutated message. Natural selection and mutations. Natural selection, there's so many holes in it, it's not funny because it really doesn't account for why would, say, a dog that keeps on refining becoming a stronger dog, because the weaker dogs, why would that make the dog change into another animal altogether? It really doesn't hold up. So what they went and come up with is a theory, or the theory of mutations, Natural selection is the process whereby organisms better adapted to their environment, so better adapted, meaning they live uh, and 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 breed among the environment a lot better than the other ones, uh, tend to survive and produce more offspring. John Blanchard explains neo-Darwinism introduced a theory called synthetic theory, which said that although organic evolution could not be brought about by natural selection, you know, organic evolution meaning species changing from one to another, alone, it could happen if mutations, inheritable genetic change, taking place over an immense period of time were added to the process. If things were mutating and they would change over an immense period of time, one animal would become another animal. So that's what they introduced. This is neo-Darwinism, meaning the new type of evolution, because it wasn't getting taught when Charles Darwin came up with the theory. And again, we see this thing with, a, looks like a little mouse or something, turns into a bat. You know, it might happen on that diagram but we've never seen it happen in real life. John Blanchett said continues, natural selection could merely eliminate unfit organisms. That's really what natural selection does and preserve the fit ones, whereas mutations provide the, could provide the variance in the life form concerned. Could provide the variation uh, and from these, nature could use those best suited for future development. So from those variations, we will get new animals or new kinds of species. So mutation is the changing of the structure of a gene resulting in a variant form uh, that may be transmitted to subsequent generations caused by the alteration of a single base units in DNA. All the deletion, get this, or the deletion, that's, we, we have deletion as one kind of mutation. Uh, We know that that actually happens where something is taken away so you don't uh, develop properly. Insertions is the one I underlined. As so far in science, we don't see insertions taking place with mutations. We don't see new information added. We see deletion and we see rearrangement, but not insertion. So these are theories again. These scientists, these intelligent men in their mind, are creating these theories, they're saying, this is another possibility because I'm still, I don't want to, I want to deny God, I don't want to believe in creation, I've got to come up with something to bolster the faith of people that believe in evolution because they know natural selection is not adequate. So they come up with mutations. And this is why I'm teaching it to you because you'll one day get someone say, mutations is why we have what we, you know, all life forms as we, as we see it today. And you now know that mutations does never add new information. So a mutation occurs when a DNA gene is damaged or changed in such a way as to alter the genetic message carried by that gene. An article in the Scientific American called The Surprising Origins of Evolutionary Complexity wrote, but recently some scientists and philosophers have suggested that complexity can arise through other routes. Some argue that life has a built-in tendency to become more complex over time. Others maintain, so get this, no scientists really believe exactly the same thing. They all have different views on that. And in that sense, many Christians don't have exactly the same belief system. But I think uh, when it comes down to it, if you believe that God created all that is, then I think most of us have a very similar belief system in that one sense. But when it comes to how everything come about, they don't agree. Many scientists are are differing on this. So others maintain that as random mutations arise, complexity emerges as a side effect. Get that? It just just emerges as a side effect. Even without natural selection to help it along. So complexity, they say, is not purely the result of millions of years of fine-tuning, through natural selection, the process that Richard Dawkins famously dubbed the blind watchmaker. So it comes through information that emerges. There's some examples of mutations. An extra-deformed set of legs. You know, a turtle with two heads. All right? The turtle didn't change from being a turtle. It just became a, a ninja turtle with two heads. So the problem with mutations is that all mutations known to science result in the loss, degeneration or deformity of genetic information, never to the adding of more complex information. Never. Never to the adding of more complex information. That turtle, turtle's, you know, shell did not break open and wings pop out. People laugh, right, but that's... That's the sort of thing that would have to happen for everything that is today to have emerged, according to the evolutionary theory. It sounds ridiculous when I say, oh, imagine if the turtle's shell broke open and wings popped out, people laughed their heads off. Well, that's what you guys are believing happened. A lizard transformed into a bird. You know, this is... The problem with this teaching is this is not science fiction. Science is supposed to study the natural world and give us honest answers, right? What they're doing is they turn science into science fiction and teaching it as science, as in the truth. They're teaching it as non-fiction, but it's truly fiction. Because they have no evidence, they can't prove it, and the more you think about it, the more ridiculous it gets, you know, if you go back far enough, it began at dirt. Now, then dirt became what? Dirt became animals insects, and insects. Things emerged out of the dirt. You know, but what formed all the complexity? What changed dirt into complex little insects? Because, you know, when you look at a, compl- a, a little insect, it's the most complicated little thing. If you get a mark- under a microscope and look up close, it's absolutely mind-blowing. How incredible some of those insects are. And then you realize all these little things that they have, these powers that they have, you know, to squirt acid and you know all this sort of stuff. And you think, well, nothing in our at, at our level of size can squirt acid. <laughs> you know, but this little creature, this tiny, can squirt acid. You know? It's amazing, it's absolutely mind-blowing. So John Blanchard said natural mutations as opposed to those induced in a laboratory, remember these were done under radiation, so intelligent interference caused these mutations. Uh, So natural mutations uh, are extremely rare. One specialist is saying that they occur once in approximately every 10 million duplications of the DNA molecule. Once every 10 million duplications you may get a, a natural mutation do you know what I mean so that's not enough to cause such great change for species to become new species that's why you don't go out one day and see your, your dog who's just had a litter of, of puppies and one of them is a cat you don't go oh, a okay. cat no. how did that happen Oh, evolution, you know, it doesn't happen, you don't see that, it never occurs, it just does not occur. Pierre Grasse, is it Grasse, a world-leading zoologist who held the chair of evolution at the Sorbonne, at Sorbonne, for over 30 years, said the opportune appearance of mutations permitting animals and plants to meet their needs seems hard to believe. Yet the Darwinian theory is even more demanding. A single plant, a single animal, require thousands and thousands of lucky, appropriate events. So these mutations have to be appropriate mutations. And you need thousands and thousands of them for anything to happen where they could change from one species to another. Thus, miracles would become the rule. Events with an infinitesimal probability could not fail to occur. There is no law against daydreaming, but science must not indulge indulge in it. Now this guy what held the chair of evolution at at the Sabon. And he said, this is daydreaming. This is daydreaming. Science should not enter into this. And if he really thinks about it, he shouldn't be entered into evolution either. He shouldn't hold that chair. He He should burn that chair. Because he's daydreaming even believing that, as far as I'm concerned. Issues with mutations. This guy, the staunch evolutionist Julian Huxley. Who's heard of him? Julian Huxley. Yeah. A proportion of favourable mutations of one in a thousand does not sound like much, but it is probably generous since so many mutations are lethal, preventing the organism living at all, and the great majority of the rest throw the machinery slightly out of gear. And a total of a million mutational steps sounds a great deal, but it is probably an understatement This is to get any kind of new uh, species. Huxley continues, however, let us take these figures as being reasonable estimates. With this proportion, but without any selection, we should clearly have to breed a million strains to get one containing two favourable mutations. So he's done the estimates on how natural mutations could just bring about, you know, just two favourable mutations to favour that organism in any way, And it's it's out there, some crazy figure, up to a thousand to the millionth power to get one containing a million. Now remember, this is an atheist saying this. This is not a creationist, this is an atheist. Of course this could not really happen, but it is a useful way of visualising the fantastic odds against getting a number of favourable mutations in one strain through pure chance alone. No one would would bet on anything so improbable happening. You can't bet on it happening, it's improbable. Canadian medical professor Magnus Verbrugge. Is that how you say? Verbrugge, Verbrugge, Verbrugge. Mutations do not create new structures, they merely alter existing ones. Mutations have produced, for example, crumpled oversized and undersized wings. They have produced double sets of wings, but they have not created a new kind of wing Nor have they transformed the fruit fly into a new kind of insect. They just stuff up what they've already have And make them usually, if you've got crumpled up wings, could that fly fly anymore? No. Ugh. So that's the sort of stuff you get with mutations. He goes on, Verbrugge. In virtually all instances, mutations are harmful. In virtually all, he says. Recall that the DNA is a molecular message. We've got to understand it from a molecular level. It's a molecular message. See that strand down there? A mutation is a random change in the message akin to a typing error. Typing errors rarely improve the quality of a written message. If too many occur, they may even destroy the information contained in it. Likewise, mutations really improve the quality of the DNA message, and too many often are or may even be lethal. So, if you change that message enough, it will stuff up that message altogether, just like a typing error would, as I explained before. If you make enough typing errors in in an essay, and if they alter the words so that they say something that you didn't intend it to say, you start to give out misinformation. It doesn't actually say what you want any longer. But that doesn't mean it's gonna give you a completely new message, does it? It's just gonna be a essay that's not gonna be good for anything, you know? Unless every single word could be changed and miraculously somehow give you a completely new essay on a completely new topic. And does typing errors usually do that? Issues with mutations, John Blanchard said, Uh, By their very nature, mutations are completely random, whereas if evolution were to succeed, should be not expected to follow an ordered design or plan. Mutations result from mistakes in copying the genetic code and can therefore be thought of as accidental damage to the code. Malcolm Bowden said that the reliance of evolutionists upon the damaging mutations as the means by which evolution progresses is rather like saying that using a hammer on a number of watches will eventually improve one of them. Would that work? If you smashed a few of your hammers in your shop, would they become better? What if I said smash a few of your watches in your shop with a hammer? (laughs) What you say from the pulpit sometimes. That's not God speaking, by the way. we smashed a few of your hammers. <laughs> Have you got the <laughs> <laughs> Ernst Chain, co-holder of a 1945 Nobel Prize for his work in the use of penicillin, expressed to postulate that the development and survival of the fittest is entirely a consequence of chance mutations, seems to me a hypothesis based on no evidence and irreconcilable with the facts. These cla- classical evolutionary theories are a gross oversimplification of an immensely complex and intricate mass of facts. And it amazes me that they are swallowed so uncritically and readily, and for such a long time, by so many scientists without a murmur of protest. That's the thing I'm amazed by in science, is how can these intelligent men listen to this garbage? How can they keep on entertaining it? Why do they not protest it? Why do they not come and say, come on, man, let's get honest here. This isn't true. But they keep on coming up with new theories. That's because no two scientists are completely in agreement on this, even if they do believe in the evolutionary theory. And, And that to me proves that science really isn't behind what they're teaching. What they're teaching is a belief system, and they're teaching something that they are holding to by faith, and they're desperate for it to be real and true, and they just think, okay, there are holes in what we're believing, and I'm sure science will work out what they are and, and fill them in, and hopefully before I die. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, science of the gaps. Yeah. That's a good point. God of the gaps, but the other way around, science of the gaps. So I believe that the complexity of design of living things points more to a designer. Who, who's, I know all of you would, would be in agreement here with me on that. Who, who's listened to some Lee Strobel videos? Who's seen a few of them? Who's listened to a little bit of uh, John Lennox over the over the past few years? And who else is there? Ravi Zacharias? Um, William Lane Craig, of course. And there's, there are many, many other ones. Listen to some good creationists teach on it as well because there's some brilliant teachings out there. Um, by some really notable uh, creationists. And listen to them and give them an ear for long enough and you'll find that you'll never turn your ear back to the teachings of these guys that they teach in the high schools. I think we've been defrauded, the church has been defrauded by science for long enough in relation to this, science in the sense of the evolutionary science. But I think the church themselves, we've lost too many souls to this daydreaming, to this fairy tale. Thousands and thousands, if not millions of people, have turned their backs on Christ and walked away because of this teaching. And so I think what I'm teaching today, even though, you know, people might question whether it's worth teaching in church, I think it is absolutely worth teaching in church. And I think more ministers should be preaching on it, don't you think? I think the problem is no one has, or not many Christian pastors taken on. Now, I'm not a scientist, so for me to teach this stuff, I can't give you really good, uh, like I I haven't taught science at school, so I can't just speak the lingo very well. But that doesn't stop me from trying to get through to you that this teaching is so fraudulent and so false. So I think more pastors should be out there teaching it, should be educating their people so that their faith can be just soaring and they'll never give up the faith. In the in the face of you know the teachings out there on evolution, etc. All right, so let's pray. Thank you, God, for this for this time now, and I just pray that this message has been a, a helpful message to many of us here. Um, thank you for helping me through it. I felt I struggled a bit, but I feel you helped me to get through it. And I just pray that the words will um, will last for many years to come, especially as it hits YouTube, and that uh, many people will come around to a knowledge of the faith through hearing maybe this message or other ones in the apologetics uh, sermon series. And I just pray that uh, all of us will um, will look into it more and that we will start to study and, and read apologetics just to keep our faith strong uh, so that we don't fall uh, to these deceptions that um, many uh, naturalists in the scientific community are trying to push on so many uh, people today. And we know that atheism is very militant now with uh, the likes of Richard Dawkins and the late Christopher Hitchens, Um, and uh, they're pushing their agenda very, very strongly, and uh, we've got to counter it in 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 as many ways as we can. So Lord, just uh, wake up your people, keep them strong in this, and help us to uh, dig deeper all the time and to find out the truth, we pray. In your wonderful name, Amen. Thanks for listening to this sermon. If you search Rob Cartledge in the iTunes Store or go to www.robcartledge.com, you'll see a number of different sermon series uncovering religion, truth, judgment, and eternity, Apologetics 101, critical doctrine and end times feel free to check them out